The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Just how much can one NDE change the direction of a person's life? When God speaks to us, how carefully do we listen? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. In March of 1980, college senior Peter Panagor went ice climbing on the lower weeping wall along the ice fields parkway in Alberta, Canada. His climbing partner was an experienced ice climber, but Panagor was a novice, and on their descent, they became trapped on the side of the mountain. As the sun set, Peter was overcome by exhaustion and hypothermia. He died on the side of that mountain, and in those minutes on the other side, he experienced hell, forgiveness, and unconditional love. Panagor's death experience changed his life and resulted in an increased, intense spiritual journey that has uh, continued for decades. It impelled him to pursue a master's degree at Yale University, uh, the divinity school there, focused focusing on systematic theology and Christian mysticism. His educational background, coupled with 30 years of meditative practice and 20 years of professional work with the dying and grieving, has given him unique insight, language, and perspective on heaven, God, death, life, love, beauty, and hope. Peter described his NDE for this show back in March uh, March 31st of 2014, and you can hear that story in detail if you go back to the past shows on our website. Now he's written a new book titled Heaven is Beautiful, How Dying Taught Me That Death is Just the Beginning, about his life-changing event. Peter, welcome back to NDE Radio. Hi, Lee. How are you? I'm good. How are you feeling today? I'm doing okay. I am. Thanks for asking. Good. Uh, Peter, I have to ask, why did it take you 35 years to write Heaven is Beautiful? (laughs) Well, um, uh, there's a few reasons. One, the most important reason is that I didn't want to talk about my near-death experience. I locked it down inside myself for close to 20 years uh, because it sounded crazy to me. And so I embarked on that long journey of studying theology and the practice of prayer and meditation in order to come to some sort of understanding of what had happened to me. And and when it did happen, Lee, no one was talking about near-death experience that I could find. There was no such thing as the Internet and uh, didn't even have a name for it back then. So mm. uh, so then uh, time passed, and I had a church here where I continued to live. I was the Congregational United Church of Christ minister, and there was a, a long, long um, event, an embezzlement inside our church, which caused lots of trouble. And I endured the the discovery of the perpetrator and the suffering that went along with the congregation. And in the end, somebody said to me, well, how did your faith endure all of that terrible time? And at that point, I decided to tell them about my near-death experience because, well, we can talk about why in a few minutes, if that's of interest. But uh, why then? What's the difference between uh, faith and belief and being known by God. So then once I began to talk about it, people started pressuring me to write 
and that's really what happened is uh, under pressure from friends and family and colleagues, uh, I finally wrote the book. Wow. Did you find uh, Yale Divinity um, instructive or disappointing if, after you had a, your NDE? Oh, well, it was both of those things. Um, I realized that if I were, when I was at the school, that pursuing my spiritual path was entirely up to me because the school was wonderful um, academically and intellectually and socially, but in terms of developing one's own internal spiritual life, it was sorely lacking. So I, I didn't go to the Dis school to pursue my own prayer life, which I was doing anyway. I went to the Dis school to educate my mind uh, about the possibility of other, that there might be other people like me in the history of the world. And I figured the most likely place to find that was in the literature, the ancient literature. So in that regard, it was fantastic. But in terms of my spiritual life, that was entirely up to me. Yeah. Um, I, to I have told people in the, the introduction that they really have to check out your story on the March 31st, uh, 2014 show. So I'm not going to ask you to go into the details of that, but perhaps more of the reflections that you've had since then. One of the questions I wanted to ask was, God told Moses, I am. He incorporated that word, incorporated past, present, and future in his name. Do you get the... Did you get that feeling of timelessness when you spoke with God, or did you feel that uh, time was uh, combined? In other words, uh, go ahead. well, you, you you got the question. <laughs> I, 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 I did. It's a little of both. Um, it's a little of both because I could see, I could see inside of time. I could see how time moved um, separately from where I was. But I also knew that time was an illusion and that only the eternal is real. And the eternal has no present, past, or future. It always is. And mm. so God did say to me that famous quote that um, Teresa, pardon me, not Teresa, but uh, was it Julian in Norwich? I think it was Julian in Norwich. Um all is well, all has always been well, and all will be well because of my love. And that was a... God said that to me, and I understood that to be absolutely true. And that sounds like a, a statement that's made inside of time, past, present, and future, but my experience of heaven was eternally now. It was not within time. There was timelessness. Mm. Uh, St. Paul, when he had his near-death experience, said he went to the third heaven. Did did you get any uh, indication that there were other uh, heavens or other uh, other locations besides the one you were in? Oh yeah, I think so. Um, I'm not sure exactly where I was. I can des I describe it as the as the greater darkness, which was illuminated. I could see in every direction, but there was nothing to see, even though I had no eyes. But there was also a, a gigantic doorway, um, the pearly gates, so to speak. And it seemed to me that had I traveled down that route, that I would have been in another place. And as it was, my experience of heaven was inside myself. It was It entered into me more than me entering into it. 
So our our um, lectionary reading for this past uh, Sunday was the story from Mark of blind Bartimaeus who cries out to Jesus as he's walking by, and Jesus says, what do you want? He says, I want to see. And after that, he followed, the gospel tells us he followed Jesus. Do you think that seeing the way you saw uh, God empowered you to uh, to go on this sacred journey that you're on? Oh, yeah. Uh, empowered me, forced me, dragged me, pursued me changed me, um, all of those things and more, that it was the seminal moment of my life was my death and return. And from that point forward, it's been inescapable for me. Um, mm. I, I tried not to pursue it. Uh, I gave a lot of effort to not pursuing, but I found myself pursued. And I finally had to turn and face um, and accept, and even though I was a rather rebellious person about it, I had very little choice. And and as for seeing, I think that my vision of the world now and humanity and everything in it is entirely different than what it was before. I can't help but see now. Why why are we so rebellious? I mean, that just seems to be human nature that. God is calling us, and uh, and we just don't want to hear it. Well, I was afraid I was going to be consumed, Lee. First, I, mm. I was pretty angry that um, God let me come back without full disclosure of what my life was going to be like um, <laughs> afterwards and how changed it was going to be and um, that I was never going to be the person that I had been before. Uh, I'm not and can never be. But, and so I was pretty angry, but... Um, the the rebellious part, um, I felt like I was going to be consumed. I felt like I had to protect what little self I had left from the immensity of the divine, this this wonderful and awe-filled, um, awful power of of love that was so is so overwhelming. I it made me a little afraid. Mm. Made me afraid, mighty afraid you- even. Do you, do you think that's our ultimate goal, though, to be, uh, to surrender and be consumed by God? Are we, yeah. are we ultimately meant to lose our ego and merge with the light? I, I don't know about the ego in terms of consciousness and knowledge and, and identification of self, but if, if ego is the, is the attachment to self, then yes. But if self is the, is the part of us that's created of God, and is divine, and um, then no, um, maybe both of those things. The, I, I say it in the confused way because because I heard my name called by God, and it was no name that could be spoken by a human being, and I identified that as self, the true self, not all the rest of the stuff that I that I've created and constructed in my life that would amount to my ego. Um, I think that the ego. Is consumed in the in the nature of the love, the fierce love and beauty of the divine. The separation, shall I, shall I call it, the separation dissolves, even though I remained myself. Yeah. Years ago, I was uh, clearing some land, and I had a huge bonfire burning. And as I was standing there, and it was getting dark, I was watching these little sparks fly off from the main fire, and thinking. 
that's what we human beings are like. And if we go off by ourselves, we ultimately go out. But if we could somehow merge back into the main flame, we probably go on forever. Um, I don't know if that's, uh, uh, I, I interviewed somebody else, um, for the show who had a near death experience in which he was 21 years old. He was merging into the light. And he said, all of a sudden, he said to God or to himself, I'm only 21 years old. I haven't really lived yet. And immediately he was thrown back out of the light and into a waiting room to go back to his body. And, uh, but I guess we have a, a certain degree of, uh, of, um, desire to, to be ourselves and, and to be independent of God. I think so. Um, uh, can I tell you two dreams, Lee, that I haven't spoken of before? I'll, I'll book Sure. Um, and my, so that, that all, my near-death experience occurred in my, what would have been my junior year of college. Uh, in my sophomore year of college, I went backpacking on the Appalachian Trail in March for seven or eight days. Uh, from in Massachusetts and northward toward Vermont with a buddy of mine and we were backpacking out there and one night we stayed at a half cabin <clears throat> and as I fell asleep in this half cabin I had a dream vision in which I was taken out of myself and brought into a greater darkness and I knew that I was asleep and I knew that I was that I knew that I had been taken and in this space I saw myself from outside myself and inside myself and my hands suddenly were put up in front of me and a hand appeared and the hand carried a tiny vial, a glass vial filled with gold dust and the voice that has no sound said inside of me, this is my gift to you, I give it to you and it poured the gold dust into my hand hands and the breath blew the wind blew and blew it all away and said now give it away and i awoke mm. shocked not unable uh, unable to understand what was going on um then i fell back asleep again and immediately i was plucked out of myself again and this time i was in the same space but i was standing in a column of fire and the fire was burning inside of me and around me, and I was frightened, and above me and below me, it was like a getting caught in a in a, 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 a fire NATO, if you've ever seen those videos, where the mm-hmm. column of fire shoots up. And I was frightened, and the voice said inside of me, you won't be consumed. And I woke up again shocked, and I kept these things to myself until a decade later when I talked to my spiritual advisor at St. Joseph's Abbey, the Trappist Monastery, about them. But I have recently come to these two conclusions, or at least for the moment conclusions. One, that I have a gift to give away, and the gift is mine. It's uh, that God is love, and that every human being should have hope that God is love, because God is real. And two, that I won't be consumed, that I will be burned and not consumed. I'll still be self, me, but I'll belong more to God, and so I need not have fear. And it took me decades, decades to get to the place where I am now with that, uh, because I had a rebellious will. So that would tell us that uh, 
we can be enlightened without being consumed, without being absorbed yes. in God. I would say that that is true. Wow. And yet, when you're confronting God, the power of that love is so overwhelming. So that you, overwhelming. Yeah, that it's it must be difficult to resist. Well, I, I when I was in that place of divine heaven, I wasn't resisting. I had no resistance. I was still created. I was a being created by God. And that was really clear to me that I was not self-made. And I was also separate from the immensity of God. I didn't, I didn't meld into the infinity of God. I was more like being infilled with as much as I could stand, as my form could stand. And, and God was still a million times, a billion times more than what I felt. I could perceive that the, the love of God was greater than my conception or experience of it. Even then. The uh, Eskimos, they say, have 30 different words for snow, and the Greeks have a few words for love. We just have love as the word. And do you, how, how would you define love? Or well, how do you think God defines love? I say, I love my wife, and I say, I love pizza. I say, I love my child. I say, I love this day. And they all express these different things. Um, everybody knows what it is to love another human being, and parents know what it's like to love a child and how that love is different than the love of a friend. I think that all these things, all the love, all taken together on earth, of every kind of love that there is, approaches or looks toward the divine love. And the divine love seemed to me to be a hundred percent forgiving, a hundred percent merciful, a hundred percent times a million more than the greatest love I've ever felt here. It's the the love of God is immense. It's unspeakable. Um, it, it, I don't know what more to say. Is it your estimation as a as a Christian that? Um, other people of other faiths, people with no faith, are as loved by God as as um, as we are. I think every single human being is loved by God as I am. The loved, in particular, and known fully, with no part unknown, and absolutely loved. Then, where does the notion of justice come in when we think of a judgmental God or or a punishment for a life badly lived. I, I, all I can say is I went through judgment and punishment, and I went to hell, and the hell I went to was to suffer all the pain that I caused everyone my entire life, from sort of like a, a life review from their point of view, um, to feel their suffering. And I judged myself, and I didn't make myself see this or feel this or judge myself. It just was what happened to me and I was guilty and I was shamed shamed in the presence of the great divine love which was present to me fully at that same time saying inside me I love you I made you you're my creature I know you nothing about you is unknown and so I felt 
cleansed, cleansed of the burdens mm-hmm. that I carried across. And I, I, I expect Lee to go through that again. I, I, that's my general expectation is, is that I'm going to, upon departure, find myself once more in a hell of my own making and God willing, pass through again. And I, I asked God before I came back, can I come back here? Meaning the heaven that was blossomed, that had blossomed inside me, the, in, the infinitude of the oneness of all the great things of life, love and compassion, hope and joy and truth. And God said, yes. So my expectation is that, that I, if I pass through the fire of hell again, that I will be burned clean and saved. Medieval Christianity and a lot of Christians today speak of um, eternal rewards and eternal punishments. Do you think it's possible that someone feels so um, ashamed of the judgment that they they uh, feel in their life review that they would impose on themselves a, 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 an eternal punishment or one that lasts for uh, much longer than yours was? Well, that's the, the word eternal is such a funny thing when you're over on the other side and there is no time. So mm. the hell I went through was eternal. It just didn't last forever. I don't even, that's contradictory. It's crazy to say it that way. But even when I was going through the judgment of, of self-judgment, and, and there was an element of time to it because I, I experienced all of the pain that I'd given everyone um, in their lives. And there was an element of time to it, but... And, and at the time that it was happening, I had no concept that it would end. Um, so that's a strange thing to think about. Mm. But really what saved me, I think, um, maybe it was that I was ashamed of what I had done in the presence of the divine, and I, and I couldn't see any other way to be than, than ashamed. The purity of God's love and beauty was so incredible that the the dross of my life was so ugly that I had no compulsion to be anything other than ashamed and that it wasn't my I didn't forgive myself God forgave me and that was what happened to me Mm -hmm. Psalm 139 says where can I flee from your presence if I if I'm yeah. in heaven, you're there, and if I'm in the depths of hell, you're there too, and darkness is as light to you. So I, it sounds yeah. like it's possible to be in the presence of God's love and be in hell at the same time. In other words... I was in, I was in the presence of God's love and in hell at the same time. Oh. Because God God's presence... I couldn't... When, when I was going through the, the cleansing, um, I couldn't feel the infill of love that I had felt before, but God was completely present to me, um, inescapably so, just in a different way, sort of outside myself rather than inside myself. It's, it's interesting that uh, many people who have near-death experiences describe God as light, uh, golden light or uh, white, pure white light. Um, sometimes musicians describe the vibration as a sound, as the most mm-hmm. beautiful music they've ever heard. 
So, would you say that love itself is a is a vibration of sorts? Oh, I don't know. I I don't know because there was nothing there, and a vibration is a thing. As we conceive of it, it's a it's a a frequency. But I, I can say, Lee, that subsequent to that day, um, I've been lifted up again into the darkness three times in my life and seen the light on the other side, uh, once from a great distance, once much closer, and the last time, about five years ago, um, almost to touching it. And at this last time, I was a, I was lifted up into the darkness, this greater darkness that was sound. And it was the most beautiful music I had ever heard. And I was a sphere of sound. And I was lifted up to the edge of the light. Um, but I, I use those words, music and sound and light, but they're not accurate. Yeah, they're analogies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were these experiences from uh, meditation or prayer, or did they just happen spontaneously? Um, yes, yes, and yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they, the, in the mystical tradition of Christianity, one can practice meditation in order to make oneself available for the divine grace. But ultimately, it's the divine grace that, that brings you to a unitive state, not yourself. Um, so, so yes, the practice of prayer, uh, according to mysticism in, in the West, can enable one to be present to the divine. But it's the divine that makes, that does the plucking, the lifting, um, and the taking of the self out of the body and uh, into the divine presence. Why do you suppose grace, or perhaps call it the Holy Spirit, is so selective that? Some experience it and others don't. Oh, I think, I think many people experience grace. They just don't know what it is. I think it's a pretty common experience to have the soul touched by the divine finger and lit a fire, um, and a conversion experience, so to speak. Even if, even outside of Christianity, a person who's been a, a deist who, who suddenly is out in nature and, and, and finds him or herself uh, uplifted in some inexplicable way and now feels uh, that nature speaks directly through uh, the soul of God speaks through nature to them as, or in church uh, or I think the divine finger touches many many human beings I think that there are there are um, what Evelyn Underhill describes as geniuses of mysticism who who climb the mountain and, and get to look down across to the other valley where the light is. Most of humanity stays down in the previous valley and can see the light reflected on the, on the clouds above. It's the rare person who is able to get up to the, uh, to the peak, uh, to look down. And, and why would that not be true if there are mathematical geniuses among us or astrophysical geniuses or medical geniuses or artistic geniuses? Why can't there be a mystical genius, someone who, who has the predisposition and given the right tool set of prayer and contemplation, able to be enabled to, to climb the mountain um, to a, a place of, of soul emptiness where God is able to uh, pluck more readily and show. Um, so, I, so, so I think everybody, many people, 
um, have a divine experience of God, but I think that the the higher levels of mysticism are are unique to individuals. We have just a a minute or two left. I wonder if you could tell folks a little about your book and why they should get it and what they can expect to learn from it. Oh, sure. Thanks, Lee. Um, PeterPanagor.com is a good place to look to begin. But the book itself, Heaven is Beautiful, How Dying Taught Me That Death is Just the Beginning, is really a book of hope. It's a, a high-adventure, mountaineering um, book that I tried to write uh, as a, I would uh, an engaging novel, even though it's true. And in the end, it's a book about love and hope. I wrote it for near-death experiencers who feel unable to speak, uh, that they're not sure who to talk to to encourage them to speak to those they love. And I wrote it for people who are afraid of death, that they might have hope that in the next life they will find love and beauty and truth, and that they will come to trust those of us who have crossed over and come back that this is not the end. This world is the illusion of finitude, and the other side is the reality of being. Well, Peter, thank you so much for this. Unfortunately, uh, um, we're out of time for today, but my thanks to Peter Panagor for sharing his story with us. And if you would like to listen to this show again or any other of our previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANS, please visit that website at iands.org. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>